Please be seated. Let me go ahead and grab this from you, Pastor Bob, if that's all right. Okay, just checking. We're on, right? Here, you can hear me? Welcome to Woven Covenant Church. It's good to see all of you here. And uh, I'm really blessed by today's time of singing and praise and worship. And it reminds me of uh, many years ago as a young college student, um, praising God with all of my heart. It was 1996 and 1997. I shared about my experience a couple of Sundays ago and how I experienced the Holy Spirit in a new way. And I don't mean to say that I just got hot or hotter for Jesus. What happened was I had to um, change everything. I walked away from that retreat in Montrose, Pennsylvania, all those years ago, a very special place close to my heart. And I realized I can't ride an emotional high. I have a lot of work to do. I have to set new rhythms. I need to establish a pattern of prayer, uh, more intentioned prayer, Bible meditation. I need to start confessing my sins and getting accountability. I need to start becoming a different person and changing my attitudes. And months later, some of my friends would begin to tell me, Wayne, you're different. You've changed. And the changes are good. And we're seeing these things in you. What, te- what that tells me is we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in order to empower us to be changed people so that people at work will recognize, hey, this man, this woman is different. This is somebody that doesn't just talk religion. There's a lot of people here in Houston that'll talk religion. But this person is real. They're genuine. There's nothing hokey or nothing kind of boastful about them. They just go about their business quietly. But you can tell that they live good, honest lives with integrity and character. At that time, as the Spirit began to fill in me, um, I graduated from college and I began working in Midtown Manhattan in New York City around 30th Street. And for two years, um, I worked in an import and export business, not by choice. My family had two successful businesses and they wanted me to, they wanted to groom me to take over one of the businesses. As I worked in Midtown Manhattan at this, you know, moderately successful business, we had a whole level in a Manhattan sky rise, um, I experienced a lot of conflict in my soul. I experienced what I believe to be the beginning of a call to ministry, and I wrestled. I wrestled because I said, I want to be the guy that gets to wear a nice suit every Sunday, or every Monday to Friday, gets to ride the subway, go to work. I want to be able to give um, generously to the church. I want to be a support. I don't want to follow this call. And as I wrestled with that sense, it wasn't just a call to ministry, but what I sensed was a call to leave home. Um, For me, that meant a call to leave everything that was familiar and comfortable and near and dear. And I really was terrified at the prospect. And so I remember one night, and I'm sharing with you my testimony and kind of a miraculous occurrence. I have experienced a few miracles in my life. I think this was one of them. And I went to church. I had my own key. That's how involved I was at that time. And the church was empty. I believe it was a Friday night. And I went into the upstairs copy room, a very small room uh, in a large building. And I got on my knees and with the Bible open in front of me to the passage that was causing such a crisis in my life. It was the story of the rich young ruler. I began to say, God... Leave me alone. 
stop hounding me with this business about leaving home and following you and you know I can do that just good and fine here in New York in Queens you know and uh, I prayed for about an hour and I wrestled with that story of the rich young ruler and finally I surrendered for the first time in my life I think I said okay have your way have your will and I gave up and I said God I, I'll go I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as you're there. If you are there, this is me saying, hold my hand in this. If you're holding my hand and if you're there, wherever there is, I didn't even know where it was. It turned out to be Texas. Um, and actually by way of Seattle, 11 years sojourning in Seattle. And the funny thing is now, 17 years later, 17 years later, I have not returned home as a resident a New Yorker anymore. I can't even rightfully call myself a New Yorker. I'm not. Um, and at that moment when I gave up and I said, if you're there, God, it will be a joy and a pleasure for me to be there. Um, that's when the strange miracle happened. I began hear, hearing noises above my head. You're probably like, were there witnesses? Or are you sure this wasn't just you in your head? No, I, I know what I heard. I'm not crazy. That probably makes me sound more crazy. But I heard something. I saw things uh, scratching through the ceiling. It was a low ceiling. Now, you know in office spaces, you have like these, I don't know what, they're like styrofoam, um, foam something, and then there's like uh, insulation. It's where all the electrical wiring and everything goes. A bird had found its way from the cold winter night, I guess, into the building insulation, into the uh, attic, whatever. And of all the places, it was drawn to my voice, I guess, or something, but it decided to start trying to break through just above my head. This is a neat story because I know throughout Christian history, um, various Christians have experienced God through birds, God's provision, God's communication through birds. This was my own little experience like that. And so uh, a bird broke through the ceiling, and it fell down, almost on my lap. I had to get up and I was freaked out. And the bird was flying around, hitting walls left and right. I opened the door, it flew out into the hallway and it said, look, there's a window. Or there's open air. I can escape this building. I can escape this building. You hear that? And the bird flew straight for the window and splat. And then fell down and then it saw a mirror, thinking again, open air. It flew, splat. And at that moment, I knew exactly what God was saying. If somebody doesn't let the bird out, this place it will die that encounter for me was the beginning of a long journey that actually in the end led me to leaving home and traveling 3,000 miles across the country I started a ministry on the west coast or not a ministry I start I joined the ministry and after 11 years of training and seminary and so on and so forth I moved here to Texas seven years ago nothing will make me leave here now. <laughs> you know, I tell that story because, one, we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's in integral for us to have the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But two, because we're talking about faith and work. Faith and work. And today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of, we're, we're not done with the series yet, but we're done with the teaching portion. And we started this series with a miraculous encounter, similar to the encounter I had. And that was the story of the Emmaus Road. And it's a wonderful story. 
the whole Reframe series began with this passage on the Emmaus Road. We end with the same passage today. You see, it's a story about two disciples, Cleopas and another person who's just called the other disciple, which is kind of sad. Imagine being known for the rest of history as the other disciple. It's like, oh, I just missed my chance to get in the Bible. So Cleopas and the other disciple were traveling about seven miles. It's not far, but for them, that's a commute back then. And on that commute, that road of life, going to work, so to speak, they encountered somebody that little did they know it was Jesus. And so we end with this passage today. In the weeks to come, we're going to have some firsthand testimonies from some of you so that you don't hear about faith and work from a preacher's perspective, but you hear about faith and work from a layperson's perspective. And I've asked some people to share their stories and to come, uh, and, and I think you're going you're gonna to hear a great perspective in the weeks to come. But today, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 Listen to these two guys on their way to work, so to speak, on their commute. 24, verse 13 of Luke. Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. I don't know how many of you carpool with other coworkers. I, <laughs> my M.O. is if I'm on my way to work, I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to sleep. Um, and, it, and then you have that coworker that, when I was at least in New York City, or somebody that you know would find you, you'd see somebody that you know, they sit next to you on the train, and they chat you up the whole way, and you're just like, shut up. Um, well, anyway, they're talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they're talking and discussing, having a theological, nothing like a theological discussion, bright and early on the way to work, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? He said, here's this dude. You know, this guy is joining us on this, on this journey, on this road, and has no clue. I mean, what a bozo. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of what's going on? And this person says, what things? And here's the funny thing. The disciples think that they have to school Jesus. They think that they're the ones that have to inform, that they're the ones that have to help him understand, when actually it was vice versa. They were the ones that needed their eyes open. They were the ones that needed to understand. And they said, look, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, prophet mighty in deed and word in sight of God and all people, and how chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened, and some of the women among us amazed us. Now, it's interesting. The story, the gospel, uh, in, in the sense of communication, began with women. The gospel, in terms of communication, began with women. The women amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and didn't find his body, and came saying that, they were, came saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us found exactly as they had said. And this stranger on the road said, Foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all the things the prophets have spoken. What a cheeky thing for this dude to say. I mean, I'd be like, who, who are you? What do you know about this? And he says, 
foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And this is the beautiful part. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them everything concerning himself in the scriptures. In verse 28, they approached the village where they were going, and the stranger acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's getting toward evening. The day is now nearly over. It's a way of saying, You're kind of cool. We like the way you talk. You make sense. So why don't you hang out with us? So he stayed with them. And they were reclining at the table. And he took bread. Listen to this. He blessed it. He broke it. And he began giving it to them. And in that moment, it was like their eyes were opened. The look of familiarity. I know this. They recognized him. And he vanished. And in that moment, they looked at each other. And they said, weren't our hearts burning? Did you feel that this morning as we sang the praise? Wasn't your heart burning? The name of Jesus all throughout the book of Acts. There's an emphasis, the name, the name, the name of Jesus, power in the name. Weren't our hearts burning while he was speaking to us and explaining the scriptures? They got up and returned to Jerusalem, found the other disciples and said, the Lord really is, has arisen. And they began to relate how they experienced him on the road and how he was recognized in the breaking of the bread. How he was recognized in the breaking, in the breaking of the bread. By coincidence, or maybe more than just coincidence, today we are celebrating communion. Will you recognize Jesus today in the breaking of the bread? Will you have your own bird experience or some kind of an Emmaus road or some kind of a spiritual encounter today? I don't know. But what I will say, and I'll try to teach briskly, three preconditions for an encounter with God. If you look in your notes, you'll see in, three, in the three holes, uh, the three hole-punched paper, there are three headings. Three preconditions for an experience with God, as if it were that simple. Three easy steps. Not that easy, though. Look at verse 15. It says, While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached, and he began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. They could not recognize him. Now, as I've said, this road to Emmaus in the reframe course, we've been using it as a metaphor for work and life. It's the common. It's the mundane. It's the everyday. The road to life, this seven-mile journey, and Jesus began traveling with them. I think the big problem is not that they lacked the presence of God, as much as they failed to recognize it. How many of you are familiar with the Old Testament story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Anybody? So what happens in the Old Testament is God and Baal have a showdown. And the prophet Elijah says, I challenge you, a bunch of prophets of Baal, the idol, the false god, and he says, let's have a showdown. We're going to build an altar and I'll let you guys go first. And you can call on your God, and whoever is the real God will light the fire on the altar. 
And so the prophets of Baal, they get into this religious frenzy. They sing louder. They pray harder. They start cutting themselves. They work up. They try to conjure God up or conjure God down. But at any rate, they're trying to bring God into their presence. And were they successful, the prophets of Baal? Obviously not. Nothing happened. Even at one point, Elijah says, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe if you scream louder. And that they did. And in a religious frenzy, they try to bring God into their presence. And they fail. And when Elijah comes up, all he does is in a simple prayer, ask for God to reveal himself. Because in a sense, God never left. God never left. And I think the great challenge and the, what we're communicating here is, it's, I think, I think we misunderstand that we have to conjure God up or we have to work ourselves into a religious frenzy and I've prayed so hard finally, ah, I'm in the presence of God. Look at me, I'm floating two feet off the floor. Am I not? Not yet. Pray harder. Repent more. Read more Bible. Sing and praise louder and ah, I'm there. Am I here yet? It's like the retreat experience, right? I just didn't get enough religion. I didn't get enough spiritual. But the great trick, not the trick, but the great challenge is recognizing that God has been present. Now, it's important that we live holy, cleansed lives with integrity. It's very important. But what happens is I think it's a mistake for us to think that God only comes when we've worked ourselves up in a religious fervor that sometimes it's best to just be chill and to know that God never left. The first step, I believe, the first precondition for a genuine encounter with God in Emmaus Road experience is to, this is the fill in the blank, stop looking for the strange and the unusual. Stop looking for the strange, the surreal, the hyper-religious experience because we're looking for God to do something amazing, something to knock our socks off, when in reality, God never left. He's always been here. And the key is looking, it's recognition, looking in the regular mundane aspect of our life, Monday to Friday, recognizing Jesus present as you go to work tomorrow, as you have lunch, as you do what, whatever it is that you do. It's recognition. It's recognition that Jesus is with you and never left at work. I love this saying by uh, Carl Jung, a psychologist. He put a sign over his doorway and it said, bidden or unbidden, God is present. Bidden or not, whether you called on him, whether you worked him up in a religious frenzy or not, he's present. Bidden or not, bidden or unbidden, God is present it would seem to me then that the great work is one of recognition rather than religious activity. Recognition. Stop looking for the strange and unusual. But then what do we do next? The second step or the second precondition is if we're stop looking for the strange and unusual, what do we look for? Start looking on your iPhone. No, start looking on your iPad. Start, look, start looking in the book. Start looking in the book. Get immersed in the scripture. If today you walk away committed to the upcoming 
CBE, the Covenant Bible Experience, where we will be reading through the New Testament this year together as a church. If you walk away today committed to soaking yourself in that book, I will count it as a success. Start looking in the Bible. Because we're looking for, I hear too many people say, I'm looking for a sign from God. I'm looking for God to part the clouds. No, I'm looking for God to reveal himself in the shape of a cloud. Maybe it'll, it'll spell something out. I'm looking for something strange. Oftentimes, the answers, more often than we realize, are in the scripture. You hear what Jesus did. At this point, they don't know it's Jesus. He didn't tell them anything new, the disciples. These two disciples on the road, he didn't say, I'm going to give you some new information. What he did was he pointed them to Moses and the prophets. He took their own scripture. He explained to them the things concerning himself in their scriptures. What's, what I'm saying is that the answer is in the word. The answer is right there in scripture. You know, have you ever heard somebody say, and you've probably said it yourself, I've probably, I've probably said it innumerable times myself, I've had a revelation. I've had, I've had such a divine moment, I've had a revelation. And if I can teach a little bit of doctrine, I learned this myself and it was a surprise. You know, it's actually theologically incorrect to say that you've had a revelation. It's incorrect to say that you've had a revelation. The reason it's incorrect is because the biblical revelation, the revelation, anything that God can reveal, it's all been revealed already in the person of Christ. As the apostle Paul, I believe it was Paul who said, in Christ we have a yes. It's, everything is a yes. He is the answer to everything. In the person of Christ is everything God ever needed to communicate to us. And so what happens then is the revelation that God has to mankind is completely fulfilled in not, just a, not just in Christ, but Christ who lived as a human being and experienced everything of human living. And so the answers that we look for are in the life of Christ. So it's more accurate to say, rather than I've had a revelation, it's more accurate to say I've had an illumination or an inspiration. I've had an illumination or an inspiration because, as I've said, the revelation is closed. That's why the book of Revelation, it ends, it's, it's the book of Revelation. It's the final revelation. After that, it's closed. I've had an inspiration. I've had an illumination. An illumination of what is the question? An illumination of Scripture is... I mean, illumine, to illumine something means you're casting light on something, right? What is, being sh- what is the light being shed on? But a careful reading and understanding and growth of the Bible. You know, somebody asked me this morning, um, how has it been for you lately? How's, how, how have, how's work and life and things been for you lately? And I was able to tell this person, not by any virtue of myself, but I've been finding that I'm a lot better able these days to deal with my anxieties and my fears and my discouragements, and they don't weigh me down as much as they used to anymore. You know what I think one of the secrets is? Not, not that I have attained this higher level of existence, but what's really helped me has been a meditation of Scripture every morning. The first thing I don't look at is my phone. I used to look at my phone. And, you know, the bright light would help me wake up and I would check my email while I'm still in bed. 
uh, it didn't help me. It made me more anxious. It made me more kind of nervous. Instead of doing that, I got up, I get up 6.45, and I go to my office. I'm still in my pajamas. I haven't even went to the restroom yet. I just open the book. And I read. And I meditate on the Psalms. Lord, guard me. You are my foundation. I love you, Lord, my strength. You have enlarged my steps. My feet have not slipped. The words that I take from Scripture become life to me. And they've helped me to deal with life a lot better because they become a prayer and a mantra for me throughout the day. Start looking in the book, friends. Can you commit yourselves to reading through Scripture this year, to meditating on it? We are a covenant church, and covenanters, we call ourselves people of the book. People of the book. In verse 32, the disciples, they turn to each other, and they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Didn't, didn't our hearts burn? Weren't our hearts burning as we were hearing these things? It made us burn. And that's a good thing. The warmth of that. You know, I, I shared with you at the start of this sermon about that experience with the bird and all that crazy stuff. And you're like, why can't that happen to me? I'm looking for the strange and unusual. I want that to happen to me. You know, that actually, I, ha, I, did, I actually didn't tell that story for a decade. I kept it to myself. Because I didn't want to think, I didn't want to communicate that that's the paragon of religious experience. That whole thing happened in front of an open Bible, friends. It happened in front of an open Bible the whole time. With me on my knees, not just for that day, but for weeks, soaking in one story. That one story from Matthew 19 and alternatively Mark chapter 10. This rich young ruler, I wish I could tear that page out and throw it away and that it wasn't in the Bible. But it was there and it bothered me because I identified so much with this rich young ruler. I identified so much with, this, with his earnestness and how he wanted to follow and yet he was trapped and he couldn't make the he couldn't make he he couldn't make the step to follow Jesus. He couldn't take that step of surrender because the sacrifice, the cost was too great. He could have been the twelfth disciple. He could have been the one with his name written into eternity. And I wrestled because I so wanted to be on the inside. I wanted to be on the in and in. Lord, I want to be close to you. I want to follow you. But I feel like you're telling me to take a harder step of faith here, how am I going to fit through a needle's eye for crying out loud? How am I going to fit through a needle's eye? And as I wrestled with that scripture, as I wrestled on my knees and I came to the place of surrender and obedience, A couple of things happened. Number one, I learned how to read the Bible. Friends, you will not learn how to read the Bible until you've started wrestling with it. Until you've started wrestling with it. Until you say, that doesn't sound right. I don't like this. Did you know even Billy Graham? Billy Graham. Every, everybody knows who Billy Graham is, right? 
even he, at one point in his life, had strong doubts about the Bible. Even he, at one point in his life, had strong doubts about everything. I'm not saying read it without questions. I'm saying read it, question it, wrestle with it, fight it, understand it, confront it, let it confront you. Because in the process of fighting with something, and this is, this is, this is like physics, you only get stronger when there's resistance, right? You will only get stronger when you're reading the Bible and there's some resistance, when you become an active reader. And in the process, what will happen to you is 2 Timothy chapter 2. You'll become a workman or a worker, a workwoman approved who correctly handles the word of truth, who correctly handles Scripture. You will learn through the process of resistance. It's like weight training. As you read the Bible and wrestle with its claims, you will correctly handle, you'll learn how to correctly handle. And Ephesians chapter 4, listen to this. For those of you that struggle with backsliding, that struggle, those of you that struggle with keeping your faith, it says in verse 14 of Ephesians 4, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people. I want my faith to be strong. I want to be permanently on the good side, but I seem to be wavering back and forth like Anakin Skywalker. I can't decide if I'm a good guy or if I'm a bad guy. If I'm Anakin or if I'm Darth, who am I? I want to stay on the good side. It happens through a wrestling with Scripture, correctly handling the word of truth, in the process being experienced and wrestling with its claims. This is the third precondition. Start obeying the book. Three preconditions for an encounter with God. Number one, stop looking for the strange and unusual. It probably is a disservice that I told you my own story. Where's my bird? Right. Don't, don't worry about it, okay? Keep in mind that all happened in front of an open Bible that I had been soaking in that one story about the rich young ruler for weeks, maybe even months. It bothered me for a long, long time. You know what got me through the Christmas holidays? I'll share this with you. Because Christmas is such a stressful time. So much family dynamics and systems and crazy stuff. One chapter in the Psalms. I can't remember exactly which one. Psalm, I think, was it 17 or something? One chapter of the Psalms meditated on the same chapter every single day. The same chapter again and again. Isn't that a little boring? Isn't that a little dull? No. The more I looked at it, the more I saw. And so, stop looking for the strange unusual. Start looking in the book. But third and most importantly, start obeying the book, friends. Start obeying the book. I hope that from the Word of God you will find the strength you need to live righteous, blameless, holy lives Monday to Friday. Amen? Let's close our eyes. At this time, I want to give you two applications, two actual tangible steps of faith that you can take today. The first is to actually write down as a commitment, and I will hold you, in fact, our, uh, our staff team will hold you accountable, staff and volunteers accountable to this, 
if you'd like to commit to reading through the New Testament this year, together with us, through the Covenant Bible experience, uh, I don't have one on hand, but we can get you a book. It's a New Testament. Yeah, that's okay, Jan. But if you'd like to commit, actually, Jan, do you have a stack of them today? You can even buy it today. Bingo. That's the application right there. I want to read through the New Testament this year. And I'm going to get it from Jan. If that's what you'd like to do, communicate on your communication card at this time. Or go directly to Jan. Bypass the communication card. The second step of application that I have is if you'd like to consecrate your work, I don't know if you can see underneath here, but there are business cards, different people. It touches my heart to see these because these are people that are saying, look, you know, I, I don't live a perfect life, but I want to give what I do. I want to give my life to Christ. And you can lay your business card at the foot of the cross as a symbol that I'm committing my job. You know, one of the reasons, if I could just talk a little bit longer, one of the reasons I wanted to avoid going into ministry because I didn't like the idea that I got paid to be a Christian. It felt mercenary. It felt mercenary. I respected all of the lay people who lived Christian lives that were blameless and godly, not because they were paid to do so, not because they were obligated to do so, but under no compulsion, they said, I am giving my life to the Lord. I'm going to live this way. That is really impressive. And so, if you'd like to commit your life, <laughs> your work, which is your life, right, to the Lord at this time, you can also come forward and lay your business card at the foot of the cross. And in return, pick up his business card, and you'll see what it says. Soli Deo Gloria. Pick up your business card. Pick up his business card. And keep that in your wallet. And so, as a worship team plays some in the background, I invite you to one, or, one of those two applications. Commit to the Bible reading or come forward, lay down your work, and receive his yoke, his work, his business card. We'll do that now. So, Lord, we thank you for being present and never having left. We know that we can grieve you through our actions. We know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Like D.L. Moody said, we leak. <laughs> 
But Lord, at the same time, we know that your faithfulness endures. But we don't want to grieve you. Help us to live lives of integrity. Help us to go forth from here into our workplaces. Help us to be empowered. Touch us in a mighty way. It's your beautiful name, Lord Jesus, that goes before us. The beautiful name of Jesus. All throughout the book of Acts, it was always in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. It is in your name that we go forth back to work. It is in your name that we administer, that we labor, that we toil, that we give, that we sacrifice, that we serve, that we teach, that we feed, that we nurture. It is in your name that we do all of these things. In your name, it is in your name. Be blessed, Lord, with our sacrifice. And bless us in return. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.